Well, thanks, Damaris. Uh, I have this friend who uh, has made a career out of teaching at both the high school and the college level um, psychology and sociology. And uh, he, made, uh, he, he had told me about this experiment they did. And what they did within the experiment was take a group of observers, and the observers were told to watch 60 seconds of a basketball game. And in the, in the basketball game, <clears throat> they were supposed to count the number of passes that were going in a 60-second window. I mean, passing is not necessarily something we notice. We notice fouls and we notice buckets, but we don't necessarily count passes. Um, and so at the end of 60 seconds, these people, these observers were, were saying, okay, so how many passes? And with all their laser-like focus on the passes, they each gave a number, and it was all pretty much within the same realm. And then the experimenters asked the observers the question, well, <clears throat> did you happen to see the man in the gorilla suit walk right through the game? And they kind of laughed like, no. What about the woman strolling through the paint with a parasol? Yeah, there was no woman with a parasol. And they're like, actually there was. And they replayed the tape, watched it again, and now all of the observers saw the man, and again, they watched this independently of one another, but they were so focused on the counting of the passes that they missed and they objected. They said, this is a different tape. This isn't what we just watched, except that it was. The point is this, I think when we give ourselves to focus, this is the power of our intentional attentiveness. And it's a wonderful thing. If, and we all kind of know that if we are gonna be successful in any one area of our lives, we're gonna have to give it some kind of laser-like focus to be successful, except this. With any great strength, also becomes a shadow side. So if we give all our attention to this, what we end up doing are missing out on particular and critical details and other important items. So for instance, if you're in a season of life and you end up your default setting, your default focus and attention is being consumed with my kids get all my focus or my happiness is what I'm trying to focus on right now. Or maybe because uh, I, I'm so focused on my career pursuits and my upward mobility, what ends up happening is that we miss out specifically on God's presence in our lives and what I would call these divine interruptions where God wants to meet us in continual and personal ways. And so we get focused not necessarily on bad things, but we get focused on things that would keep us from experiencing God's kingdom of heaven on earth. Are you with me? So what we wanted to do is take the next couple of months and explore the nature of one's salvation. Not as an event, but as something that is growing and unfolding. And what we realize is that we can't experience any kind of growth without a plan. And we can't experience any kind uh, of plan without effort. And so it requires us to give certain attention. And the way we can give attention and not miss out is by turning. So tonight, it's about learning how to turn. Scripture would call this repentance. At Mission Hills, we talk about this as our 
rhythm of renewal. But there's a passage, and if you want to pull out your app, you can fill in some notes on the app. You can follow along with some of the scripture I want to look at tonight. But there's a passage that I want to uh, try and see if we can understand because I want to share what it means for us to learn how to turn. I think that hearing God isn't necessarily an act of listening. It's a matter of the heart. And so as we tune our hearts, and what's there? Our motives, our desires, our attitudes, our fears. As we tune our hearts uh, to the kingdom of God around us that's present in our world, what we begin to do is we begin to learn how to experience God's rule and reign, God's presence among us. And this is what it means to simply work out our salvation or simply just deepen our faith. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, I just want to start with this where it says this. This is the calling of the disciples. And if you've been around Mission Hills, this verse should be familiar to you. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he said, the time has come the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Now, just a little bit of insight into this passage was a little startling to me. Now, Jesus proclaimed the good news except for this key fact. He was still alive. Oftentimes, if we ask people, well, what's the gospel? Well, Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day, and so we can have the power to overcome that which um, destroys life. Well, that's part of the good news. That is part of the gospel. I don't think that version of the gospel or good news goes far enough because Jesus was still alive. There had been no death yet there, that, that covers the forgiveness of our sins, and there had been no resurrection that gives us the power, uh, the spirit of a living God inside of us. But Jesus went around proclaiming the good news. What is the good news then? Except that what I think Jesus was vividly trying to do was help you and I reimagine the world that God intended. In other words, that right here, right now, heaven is and is wanting to break into what feels like our brokenness and hell on earth. Are you with me? And so Jesus comes pre-death, pre-resurrection, proclaiming really good news. In other words, the hope of the gospel is this. You and I can experience heaven here and now, not there and then when we die. And so as Christians, he's inviting us into this divine participation, this gracious participation. And when we're found in Christ, that is, I profess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, there is something that happens to my identity. Now, repentance is how we practice what I call our rhythm of renewal. Renewal is simply a growing awareness of the presence of God. But the question is, is how do we experience experience God in ever-increasing ways, except by yielding, or language here tonight, learning to turn either away from or toward as God's presence or spirit guides. So the goal isn't to somehow callous up our heart. 
The goal isn't to keep situations and people at arm's length. The goal is to have our hearts be resensitized so that what breaks God's heart breaks ours. What God sees, we begin to see. And that's the invitation. That is the good news, that we can be co-creators, co-restorers, that as people who bear the image of a living God, we can actually be part of God's salvation. This gets me really, really excited. And so when I'm focused on Christ as a new creation, what it means is I'm free to deal with my sin because my self-worth, my identity is not in question. But most of us grow up thinking, well, if you're going to hear a conversation or a preaching about repentance, that just feels like a reminder of my inadequacies. But in Christ, we're already a new creation incredibly loved, so it gives us all the more impetus to want to yield to God's spirit, even when it feels like I have to deal with my own brokenness. I want to share a story. My mom told me of this man, and this man's name was Keith, Keith and Edith Anderson. My mom grew up with this family. In fact, when my mom was 14 years old, uh, she stood as a bridesmaid in the wedding party. Well, Keith Anderson is 87 years old. And in December, he called my mom and just simply said, Torin, this is Keith. She knew right away who it was. He has sort of this bold baritone voice. And as, as she recognized his voice right away, she said, he said, I wanted to call and thank you. I just wanted to call and let you know how appreciative of the kind of friendship that you've extended for most of my entire life. The doctors told me that I can die at any day now. And so I decided I wanted to start calling and expressing gratitude to the people who have been uniquely special in my life. So my mom, Never having a phone call quite like this. I don't know if you've ever received a call that says, doctor says I can die any day now, but oh, by the way, thanks for being a great friend. Where do you go from there? So she kind of recovered a little bit from her shock and ended up having a wonderful conversation. Edith was one of my mom's good friends. Edith and my mom knew each other from Norway during World War II and had immigrated over within a couple of years of each other. They found each other in San Francisco at this immigrant church and, <clears throat> and became friends. In fact, um, they kind of grew up together. They had four kids and, um, and one of their kids was, was a ring bearer in my parents' wedding. My mom was in a, a Norwegian sewing circle that would meet every month for over 65 years. You want to take, talk about a life together? Well, when Keith was a young man, he was about 18 or 19, he showed up at the church and he felt like even though he was a Christian, he wasn't the kind of role model that he wanted to be. And so there was a pastor back then in the 50s and he took him under his wing and he began a mentoring and discipling relationship. Well, Keith Anderson spent an entire career as an educator, first as a classroom teacher and then he went into administration. But he became an avid student of God's word. And so we had this large Sunday school class uh, or, or department where adult education had these classes and rotating teachers. And Keith Anderson was always one of the best teachers because he had fallen in love with the study of God's word. 
He had turned towards God's word for guidance and direction to become who he was called to be in Christ. And so it shaped the trajectory of his whole life. You could even go on to say that he understand his calling as a minister, even though he worked in the academic community for an entire career. Now Edith was in a memory care ward in the hospital. They're not even living together anymore uh, because she needs full-time care. And he's been given a terminal um, de- uh, uh, timeline and he's picking up the phone to call the ones who have been Christ to him. Okay, think about this. If you get a sort of terminal diagnosis, is your first thought to turn towards gratitude and appreciation, or do you turn towards self-pity and shaking your fist at God? I'll say that I could go either way on those, knowing who I am. But Keith Anderson, in his devotion to God's word and Christian community for an entire life, he's calling back to say what each person has meant to him and his family. Four kids, yeah, he's got a lot going on. A full and, 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 and busy career, yeah, he had a lot going on. But it didn't keep him from turning to God's word for guidance. So when we talk about this need for turn or repentance. We're not just being reminded of our inadequacies. What we're doing is yielding to the Holy Spirit of God so that what could be a diagnosis for hell on earth becomes this moment where heaven comes crashing into the broken world and we actually start to experience the world that God intended, not what you and I know as normal. I would love that testimony. But it doesn't happen without a plan, and it doesn't happen without a community, and it doesn't happen without some effort involved. Anything good always does require those things if it's to sustain itself. And so real quickly, let me review something, because in Mission Hills, when we talk about our rhythm of renewal, it's based on Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And it says primarily three things. The three things are, the time has come. The time isn't chronos or chronology as what we would measure on a watch. It's interpreted as as kairos, which means simply maybe the best interpretation is an opportunity. What? An opportunity that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. It's present, not there and then, which is what I felt like I was told growing up. Exactly. So each and every day, heaven is closer than you and I might realize. And it doesn't matter if we have a case of the Mondays. It doesn't matter if our kids or me or my spouse or my boss walks, wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Heaven is closer than we realize. And it says this, that the opportunity for the kingdom of God is here and now. So the question becomes, how do we experience heaven on earth? And he says, repent and believe. Repentance is literally simply a turning, maybe turning away from sin, maybe a turning towards gratitude, turning away from the things that bring out the worst in us or the people that draw us down, turning towards giving to others, generosity, hospitality, compassion. There is this invitation to live into a kingdom value, even though the kingdom of earth doesn't get it. 
But we, you and I, are dual citizens of heaven and earth. And what is, it says, repent and believe. And I would simply say, what is belief without an action? And so if we say that we believe that God is faithful or God is a provider or God is a healer or God is compassionate or God is generous, then I want to assume that posture in my own heart. And so very quickly, we, we see what Jesus goes on to do. And again, notice some of what's happening in and around this text. It says that, I'm going to read 16 through 20, and says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, brother of Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were uh, <clears throat> fishermen. And he said, Come, follow me. Jesus said, And I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, when he had gone on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men, and they followed him. So real quickly, if you were here last week, you understood what I was trying to explain about what it meant to follow a master rabbi. You would go through all this school, and if you were the elite, you could then approach a master rabbi and said, can I follow you? And what, what would happen is if you weren't of the elite echelon by the time you were 15, you would go back to the family trade. What did Jesus just do? Two things. He went to them. And what were they doing? Working the family trade. And when the invitation to follow was always like, hey, do you think I have what it takes to be like you? And Jesus comes to them as he comes to you and he says, you already have what it takes to come and follow and be like me. That is an encouraging word. So what we start to see out of this passage is that turning or repentance is ground zero for how you and I work out our salvation. It's how you and I have a growing faith. And so I want us to, to zero in on the need to have a growing awareness of God's presence, to have our hearts recalibrated and resensitized so that we might more in increasing ways yield without rational thought for, for God's leading in our lives. Now, when he begins to say, Jesus wasn't inviting them to follow, but he was inviting and follow simply, he was inviting them to reorient their lives, a new direction of the heart. Now, these were tradesmen who dropped what they were doing because it was the aspirational goal to do that. And so they were getting their second chance. And we understand that we serve a God of second chances. Jesus chooses to be students, right? What I think, and I'll just kind of summarize this, that I think is essential to point out is it says they followed him. Now, it individually categorizes and names certain disciples who dropped what they were doing and went to follow. But it says that they followed. Because simply this, we can't follow Christ alone. We can't grow without a plan. And we can't change without effort. And what Jesus does is he invites them to follow in community with this idea that I'm going to make you a different kind of fisherman. See, the invitation to follow is always more than a one-time decision. It's a reorientation so that somehow daily I need to remind myself that whatever happens in life, I'm not an end in and of myself. 
So with every promotion or every raise or with every setback, I don't want to just be the center of my own life. But none of us can sustain growth on our own. None of us can sustain any kind of life change without resource. And so we're invited to surrender our hearts and all that means to find strength in God's word and together. And so we are at a time in our year and in our church kind of growing up out of spiritual infancy to what I call spiritual adolescence. If you've raised kids long enough or if you remember coming out of childhood, you remember there was a day where your parents started asking for you to be more of a participant in what it takes to make the family run. And so maybe you were in charge of the dishes after dinner or maybe you were in charge of taking out the garbage on Tuesday nights. Maybe you were in charge of straightening up your room. Whatever the chores were be, it was part of your contribution to a family. And to be a family, you can't operate as an island. You, it doesn't work when the whole family circles one individual. And so we are a church that is coming of age and we're going through some kind of growing pains. But the point is this, at the outset of the new year, the thing that I have uh, is a desire to see all of us expand our hearts and grow in our capacity to love. But to do that, I can't do that alone. And I can't do that um, without a plan. And I can't do that without some amount of effort. Growth always feels a little inconvenient. Growth always feels a little uncomfortable. But thankfully, we have a community to rely on. And so we created uh, a, a kind of uh, description for what it meant to resolve to love. Each year, we wanted to exchange some vows, um, not just together, but before God. And so we talk about membership as being in covenant with Christ while at Mission Hills Church. And we feel like being a covenant partner involves a sort of spiritual growth path. So we're not just going through our year trying to avoid bad things and hope good things happen to us. We're actually working a pathway that we think will produce growth individually and collectively. The Hebrew mind was always a communal one. The idea of a personal relationship with God is almost Western in that sense. Everyone thought about the good of the community, and so salvation was always collective. Do you understand my meaning? And so we have three sort of simple vows that we want to share with one another that encapture our rhythms, because we don't want to be a people of belief without a certain applied practice to them. And so we talked about what does it mean for us to love God uh, and increase our love for God? Well, if, if we look at the form, and we have a couple of uh, extras hanging out in back, we have some PDFs that you can download online or uh, even on the app. But it talks about what does it mean for us to practice our rhythms of being in community and 
the practice of apprenticing. In other words, looking for someone that's further along, but also finding someone that I could bring along. And for you in, who are in the category of young parents, we have a children's ministry that you get to practice apprenticing in. And so we think part of that working out our salvation involves how do we love each other in, in ever and increasing ways. We talk about loving others uh, with an upward vow to trust God. And this is our covenant, our, our excuse me, our rhythms of, of compassion and hospitality where we want to seek the good of those outside of our walls. And then certainly an upward value of, of loving God by our generosity and our gratitude. And so, and, and renewal fits into that same upward relationship. And so next Sunday, we're calling it Covenant Sunday for those people to renew their vows uh, to this body before God. And so I'm gonna encourage you to take some time to fill that out. If you're at home and you can fill that out, I would love for each of you to do that. Now, I started a, a class last week and I'm gonna to continue tomorrow night. And so hopefully we'll have a couple more people signing on, but we wanna encourage you to have an active and a growing faith. So much of the time membership feels like, well, if you become a member, it's very static. In other words, it's a one-time decision and then no one ever checks up on you again. And what I'm suggesting is, no, the relationship should feel relational uh, and growing and dynamic. And so what if every year we renewed our vows to God with each other? And, and a part of that is that um, membership would also sort of feel like um, <clears throat> uh, that there was insiders and outsiders. And we just wanted to make it feel like, no, we're partners together trying to grow in faith, community, and mission. And so... I would encourage you to pray through this, talk about your participation, ask the Lord. I know that circumstances change so much each year. We get raises and we, we transition from jobs, different time opens up and, and, and certain commitments uh, evolve. We want this to be a time to recalibrate, to take spiritual inventory of how we might grow and resolve to love, love God, one another, and others in this new year. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I'm reminded of your gracious, um, caring um, love for us. I'm reminded that life feels full and, and this world feels broken. I pray for me, but also for my friends, that we would have a growing awareness of your presence and there would be a sense of a divine aha, a divine interruption that would interrupt what feels debilitating, what, fears, what feels full of fear and anxiety, what, what feels like um, I can't trust you enough. So we pray again, Lord, we believe, but now help us in our unbelief. Help us to give of our whole lives like your son did in modeling this on the cross for us. I pray that we would be participants and observers of of the good news of the kingdom of heaven breaking forth in this world. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.